now. Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Punahit po te pōpere marama. Tomakia te ao, te ao whatitangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau, hume, huie, taiki e. Kia ora koutou and welcome to the Wild Weather online field trip. Ko Shelley Tako Ingwa, your Loons Kaiarahi on this trip. And I'd like to introduce you to our experts this morning. We've got both Mar Murray and Peter coming from Tairafati, Gisborne. And we'll get you to introduce yourselves, Murray. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. Hi, I'm uh, Murray Cave. I'm the principal scientist at um, Gisborne District Council. And that means that I get involved in all sorts of really strange and cool stuff to do like tsunamis, storms, um, floods, and um, and also environmental type things. So it's a really cool job. Kia ora. Thanks, Murray. Peter. Morning, everyone. I'm Peter Hancock. I, I work with Murray at the council as well. And I like to measure things. I work in environmental monitoring and I like to measure how much water there is and how nice and clean it is. Kia ora. And our students from Murutai School, great to have you with us this morning. So hopefully you've seen the videos where Murray and Peter have told us more about some severe weather events in Tairawhiti and you've explored some of the field trip and hopefully enjoyed that. Um, and there's the Google Earth tour that you can explore as well. So I'm talking to you from Otipoti, Dunedin this morning, and it's a very frosty morning, and we've had some quite severe weather this week. We had snow overnight on, I think it was Tuesday, and I'm really enjoying the, the wild wintry weather. So it's perfect timing for this web conference. So welcome along to our speaking school. And if we've got a student there that can introduce yourselves, that'd be great. You've lost sound. I, I can't hear you, I'm, I'm afraid. I can see you. I can't hear you. You're definitely unmuted on the computer, I can see from here. I'm not sure why we can't hear you. We had you before. Nope, no sound at all. Anyone there that can help with your technology? <laughs> Otherwise, we've got your questions, so we can ask them on your behalf, but it'd be really cool if you were able to ask them yourselves. So, still can't hear anything. Only other advice maybe is that you could drop out and come back in again, because we did have your sound at the start. Well, you can unplug the external speaker if there is one. Oh, yeah, we're going to come back in. I think that's I'm, the thing with Zoom, well, you can't change your audio while you're in. Okay, don't worry about that. Just, just carry on. Kia ora. Okay, go, Sophia. Okay. 
This term, our inquiry unit, is called paperback patterns. The topic is all about exploring forces, and as the Kilaru Syndicate, we have decided to focus on weather forces slash forces of nature. We have be began our unit by constructing and building volcanoes. Through this, we have we looked into what causes a volcano to erupt and the impacts this has on the environment and people. Once we have, once we have completed that, we started to look into different types of weather and the impacts this has on people slash communities. I personally, personally chose blizzards and then I created a PowerPoint presentation which um, specifically focused on the five Ws and H. Um, what I have found particularly interesting is how they measure how much um, snow has fallen. Awesome. Kia Sophia. Good job. Really interesting to hear about what you've been studying. Wonderful to hear that you've been studying weather and also volcanoes. We're doing a volcano field trip to Taranaki later on in the year, so you might be able to do that field trip as well. Kia Thank you for that. And now we'll, we'll start with your first question, please. Oh, Sophia. Oh, sorry, Sophia, you've got to ask a question. Sorry. What weather do you find most interesting to learn about? Uh, good question. So a question for both Murray and Peter. Murray, do you want to start there? <coughs> uh, yes. Um, I actually find all weather really um, interesting to study. Um, up here in Tairafti, the really big events that um, we tend to um, look at most uh, a cyclonic event, so these are big storms that come down from the tropics. They're the ones that really give us grief. Um, we had um, Cyclone Bowler in two, 1988, and we've had a, quite a few since. And those are the ones that really leave a strong impact. So those are the really cool ones to study because they're, they're really complicated. Um, each one is different. They've got personalities almost. And so I think they're pretty cool to study. Kia ora. Thanks, Murray. Peter. I really like the extreme weather events. So when it's really dry or when it's flooding lots and lots and it's raining really, really hard. Um, we just had about two weeks ago, we had a big flood up here where um, a lot of rain fell all in one hour and it all washed out into the river and flooded a bunch of, of people that lived in the village. Um, so yeah, that was a very, very extreme event. So the the heavy rainfall events where you get flooded, that often happens all at once, but the droughts, the droughts happen over a very slow kind of period of time where you just get no rainfall and things get drier and drier and your, your grass gets more and more dry and all your cows start going hungry. Yeah, weather is definitely a fascinating topic. Put your hand up if you watch weather forecasts or read weather forecasts kind of on the day-to-day -day and you're really interested in weather. I know I do. Yeah, it's, it's something that affects us all every day and it helps us to plan things if we know what, what the weather's doing. Good stuff. And can we now have question number two, please? Where in New Zealand does the most fair weather occur? Oh, yeah, and I was really interested in the answer to this because I've, I've got some ideas, but I don't know if they're correct. <laughs> Well, I can start off with this if you like. Um, that was a really cool question, and it sort of made me think of, ooh, what is it? So I went back and had a look at some stats from um, MetService, looking at 
the 10 worst storms in New Zealand and didn't really help us too much in some ways because there's so much variation. But if we went down and had a bit of a deeper look at it, six out of those 10 storms were ex-tropical cyclones. So these were the cyclonic events that came down from the tropics. And that basically meant that most of them affected the North Island more than the South Island. And um, although there is, um, you can get cyclones affecting the South Island as well. So the dominant ones was mainly North Island events. So probably I'd say that the area that gets the worst weather from overall, the, the really, really bad ones, is the North Island. But the South Island doesn't um, escape. So we've had two really big snow dump events in the South Island. Um, one before all of our time, back in 1939, or 36, sorry. Um, and then we had another one um, around about 2004, I think, from memory, um, which really did blanket the entire South Island and was really cool because you could go snowing, um, skiing, in the time when you wouldn't normally be able to do it. <clears throat> and so those would be the two big things. Canterbury, um, they also had a really big event, um, what they called the Big Blow, um, which was a big nor'wester that hit um, the Canterbury region. Um, ooh, when was that? Um, 1975. And that was really quite interesting because they had winds of 175 kilometres an hour um, at um, Christchurch Airport. So that's pretty fast. Mm, indeed. And you think about that and there's lots of people that live there whereas when we're up in the mountains and, and places isolated that we used to bad weather there's not many people around so not not many get to experience it so it's really interesting to find out what areas get the most severe weather where there are people living kia ora thanks murray and no question number three please what what do you do when you get to a civil defense center Good question. Thank you. So you, you want to start with that one, Pete? Yeah, well, um, when you get to a civil defence centre, so that, that means a couple of different things. So if you're talking about me and my job, what do I do when I get to a civil defence centre? Um, for me, usually it's about measuring how much rainfall is falling and how big the rivers are getting. So we have lots of tools that we use. Uh, we look at the Met Service, all of their forecasts, and we look at where the flooding could be happening, where most of the rain is falling. Um, and sometimes we even have cameras on our rivers and we have lots of, um, we have lots of what we call a sensor, we, something that's actually measuring the water level so we can see how big our rivers are getting. So, so that's what I do when I'm in civil defense center. If you're in a civil defense center, you're probably in big trouble. So you're probably there because there's been an earthquake and your house has fallen down and you don't have anywhere to live. Um, you could be there because your house has been flooded. Um, you could be there because maybe uh, your house has had its roof blown off because of a tornado or a, a severe weather event. So when you're there, you're, it's not because you want to be there, it's because you have to be there. Um, and um, Funnily enough, some a lot of schools in our community are the places where people go when they're in trouble. So I don't know if your school is a civil defence centre, um, but if some members of the community had their roof blown off and they would have nowhere to live, they might come to the school for a couple of days. And, and, and sometimes the schools act as locations where people can offer food, 
and water and warm blankets and keep you happy and healthy until we can figure out what to do with your house that's been broken. Okay, and I can probably add a wee bit there, not on the um, what happens when everybody turns up at school when it's a civil defence centre, but if you're going into what's it's actually called the emergency um, um, coordination centre, and so it's the our council, our civil defence people, the police, fire, ambulance, um, the military, if there are any of those around, the health board all get together. Um, also, comms team come in. We actually have a specialist communications person come in and we really then sort of work out what is the strategy, how are we going to address this um, um, problem that's here, whether it be a, um, a tsunami or a weather event and it's really a question of um, all those people communicating together, making decisions but communicating out to um, out to the community so we'll be um, talking to um, the regional uh, civil defence coordinators so each of the small towns they will have somebody there who looks after local community from a civil defence point of view. And their job is to be the interface between what happens in the centre and, and what's happening out in the, in the region. So they will say, we're getting severe flooding here, we need resources. So that will come through to the centre and they'll say, okay, how do we get those resources through to that area? And so it's a really a coordination role, um, quite a lot of decision-making going on. And it's also where people wanting to know what's going on, we might have um, uh, the Prime Minister or the Minister of Civil Defence wants to know what's going on. So they will ring in um, through to the centre and um, our coordinator will then communicate with them. We will have media people turning up at the door wanting to talk to us and say what's going on. And so then our comms people have to deal with that. So it's a very, very stressful, busy time. Um, the last time I was in an emergency coordination centre, civil defence centre, um, I was there at 2.30 in the morning and I, um, I didn't stand down until 15 hours later. And so it is um, a really, really busy, tiring time. So you actually do get really, really tired. Um, one really critical part of it is actually then getting fed. And, um, and so one of the things that often gets a wee bit forgotten about because everybody's so busy, is, oh, we need to order in some food so that all the people working there trying to organise what's going on, um, making sure resources are getting to the right place, all of a sudden realise we're really, really hungry and we need to have a break and have a good coffee and a, a few um, sticky buns. Exactly. And, and if you're having to go to a civil defence uh, centre because you've been evacuated, it's always good to have your supplies ready to go. And there's a field trip challenge where you can organise your own grab bag um, from everyday household items. So supplies that you have ready for a, an emergency. And there's a competition. So check that out on the website because it would be really cool to see what items you've got organised. Excellent. And that brings us to question number four, please. Hi, I'm Claire. Um, can you tell us more about how hail is formed and also how is a tornado formed? Kilda, thanks, Claire. Peter. Yeah. Good question, Claire. I, I really like that one. Um, so how is, how is a tornado formed? I'll start with that one. So, you know, when you boil your kettle at home, and the steam, the hot steam coming out of the kettle goes up. So hot air rises. And have you ever noticed when you open up the fridge at home, 
that all the cold air drops out of the fridge and maybe you can feel it on your ankles because cold air is heavy. So what happens is when weather systems come together, like sometimes if you see on a weather map, you might see a big H and a big L. The H is normally warm and it stands for high and L is normally cold and it stands for low. And when these two systems come together or they move across the country or across your house or where you are, the warm air gets pushed up and the cold air gets, um, comes underneath. And when these, two, when these two things happen like this, they can mix and they can, they can start swirling around each other. And that's where we get these tornadoes. Uh, in New Zealand, we, our tornadoes tend not to be very big. Um, they might be very small. So if you had a tornado through your neighborhood, it might it could destroy your house, but not your neighbor's house. But sometimes they're very small. Um, in America, there's a place called Tornado Alley, and they have huge tornadoes. They can be really big, like the size of a whole town, and um, they can cause a lot of damage. Um, but we don't we don't get them here in Tidafati, Gisborne. Um, you tend to see a lot of them in around Auckland. You may remember that um, a very sad thing happened about uh, three weeks ago where someone in Auckland was killed by a tornado. There was a very small tornado, but it was just that person was in the wrong place at, at the wrong time. So they do happen in New Zealand. Um, and the, the other one with hail. Hail is really interesting. I find this really fascinating. So... Pretty much all rain that you see happening, when it's high up in the sky, it's actually snow or ice. It's all frozen up there. So if you were flying in an airplane and you open up the door, which you probably shouldn't do, but if you did, it would be very, very cold. It would be like all ice up there. So when rain starts falling, it starts melting. Uh, when snow starts falling or, or ice, it starts melting. What can happen is sometimes you get wind coming up, which actually holds the ice in the air. And the longer it's held up in the air, the bigger and bigger it can get because it starts bumping into all the other bits of ice and water. And these little bits of ice start getting bigger and bigger and bigger until they get so heavy that the wind coming up can't hold them there anymore. And so they all start falling out. And that's how hail, that's how hail gets formed. Awesome. And put your hand up if you've experienced a good hailstorm recently. Just this week, in fact. Yesterday. <laughs> It'd be fun to um, measure the different sizes of hailstone and, and uh, see, see how big they can get. Excellent questions. You've worked really hard on these. It's good to see. And question number five now, please. We have a what are the ongoing effects of a landslide and are there ways to prevent them from happening? We have a lot of houses on the hills here in Eastbourne. Mm, very good question, very appropriate. <laughs> okay, and well, I think this might be a question for me to sort of um, look at. Well, um, uh, I used to know about the um, Eastbourne area and um, did some work on an earlier period when they had landslides there, which affected quite a few houses. Back in the 70s, which is um, when it happened, it's quite a long time ago. Um, but way back then, what people were doing in the um, around in the cities, they were actually clearing all the bush off those hillsides. 
And when you clear off that bush on the hillsides, you reduce the amount of um, ability of the ground to actually hold the water. And when you have a big storm happening, um, then those, those landslides can occur. So what they now do in Eastbourne, um, you'll see that there's a lot of regenerating new bush growing there. That's quite well covered. So the risk is reduced. Sometimes, of course, you'll always get um, events that occur, which the storm is so big that it doesn't matter what on earth happens there. If it's so big in one particular place, you're still going to get landslides. And we have quite a few landslides here in, um, in Gisborne. We have a number happening in the city from time to time. We had a really big one last year. We a lovely house up on top of a hill overlooking the sea. And um, all of a sudden, just in front of the house, all collapsed and went down and um, nearly landed on houses down below. And we had some other ones um, where we had ongoing things where the landslide happened and then headed off down to the sea. And with there, we actually lost our house. The house tilted over, um, was no longer livable. So that house had to get removed. And um, But the real issue about it is controlling the water that's around when you've got a storm. And that's the key thing. So you don't want to get water in your drains going to one place or that drain blocking up because that's really what helps cause landslides because pressure is too great on the ground. Uh, it's a big issue and a really good question. And um, But the effects are we will lose houses. We do lose houses in landslides. And, um, and when that happens, then we do a thing called a retreat. We basically saves people that you can't go and rebuild on that same site, that house will have to be relocated or sometimes pulled down. And um, then the people compensated and that land no longer used. And you had that in Christchurch after the earthquake as well. So landslides aren't necessarily just caused by weather. When you have a big earthquake like happened in Christchurch, we had landslides there, um, boulders going down the hill, damaging and demolishing houses below the landslide um, and houses that were on top collapsing and heading off down the slope as well. So they're really, really nasty things. They, you know, they happen really fast and um, they're very, very, um, they can, the scale of them can be really, really um, different. Most of the time they're caused either by earthquakes or by um, bad weather, but sometimes they just happen. Back in 2018, um, three years ago here now, we had one that happened right on the south of our, um, of our region and in that one there, just imagine it, 11.5 million tonnes of rock slid off down the hill and blocked a river. And there'd been no rain, um, there hadn't been any earthquakes, so we just don't know why that one occurred. And it was really quite a significant event. It blocked the river, um, and now that um, big landslide that went down, now, the positive thing about it is that now we have a brand new lake within the region. That um, So it's pretty cool. It's not doesn't happen often that you get a brand new lake forming. And so that's a really great thing here. But landslides, big issue, no real solution to them in many ways. But um, keeping bush on the hillsides is a really plus. As in, uh, when you don't have bush on the hillsides, that's when you're increasing the vulnerability to landslides. And... Um, and we've had the issue up here when we've had a whole lot of forest and those forests have been harvest, harvested. And then if we have a big storm and those hot forests have just been harvested, then we'll have lots of landslides from them as well. And, um, and then we also get lots of logs and other things then heading off down to the beach, which is not a good thing. 
No, indeed. And if you're wondering about where there might be landslides in your area, you might be able to have a look at your council website and they might identify areas that are at risk. And if you can't find that information, I'd encourage you to contact your council and say, hey, we're, we're interested in this and I'm sure there's someone there that can help you out with that. Excellent question. And <laughs> to the last question now, please. My name is Nixon and we would like to know why no one is cleaning up or able to clean up Chaloga Bay. Thanks, Nixon. Okay, Nixon. Well, I think this is going to be one for me as well because this has been um, the story of my life um, since 2017. It's been cleaning up Chaloga Bay Beach. Now, it's a, a difficult one. Um, in the Chaloga Bay area, um, up in the hills there, and I mentioned just before about if you've just had a big forest harvest, and we have a storm, then you get lots of logs coming down. And, um, but not all of them come down at once. And so in 2018, when we had a really big storm, um, we had around about 42,000 cubic metres of logs turn up on, on Tolaga Bay Beach. And that was all cleaned up. Um, the forestry industry did most of the work. They came along and put them all into big piles, and those piles were then burnt which isn't necessarily the best way to deal with them, but um, when you've got lots of logs and the people want them moved, that's what we did. And um, But then, because there's all still these other logs up in the um, catchment, every single time we have a storm since, more logs come down and it goes back onto the beach. And if you have had a look at the videos that we've um, shared through this project, you'll see there that um, we were talking on Tolaga Bay Beach and you could see there was a digger working in the background and that digger was there cleaning up um, the last of um, some of the debris um, from last year and the year before, right on the north end of Tolaga Bay Beach. And that was really great. So we all moved um, around about, you know, I think it was 2,000 cubic metres of logs. And we had the beach looking really lovely and clean um, immediately after we finished doing all that filming for, um, for this program. And, um, and lo and behold, um, Two weeks ago now, or one and a half weeks ago now, we had another big storm that really affected um, the Tokamaru Bay area, which is a bit further north. But at Tolaga Bay, now that beach has now got lots and lots of logs back on it again. So we're starting from scratch. So um, yes, we are getting in there, mainly the forestry industry getting in there and cleaning up. Um, and the council's gone in last time to clean up as well. Um, and now we have to start again and do it all over again. Mm, very frustrating. So not the case that no one is cleaning up the beaches. Lots of people trying, but the problem keeps on happening. So it makes you wonder about how the land is used in the area and whether some, some areas should be in forestry or not. So perhaps it just should be um, planted in native bush and left and not harvested for, for pine, perhaps yeah. some areas. And yeah, other areas, well, maybe they just shouldn't all harvest at once. They might just have to start harvest little bits. I guess these are all things that um, the council was working with forestry with, Murray? Yes, that's um, exactly right. Um, I think it was one of those situations where until that event occurred in 2018, when we saw everything down on the beach and we saw people being rescued off their houses um, up in the forest areas where they were living, um, nobody had really thought about the consequences too much. And so there has been a, a shift in the way that the forestry industry operate within the forest. They're no longer clearing out huge, big areas. We now, um, they will harvest relatively small 
areas of um, land and uh, rather than actually harvest a whole, whole catchment, now it's actually sort of done in a more staged way. But the other thing we're doing is that um, council owns its own forests in another area, an area called Wānaki. And what we're doing there, those forests are being harvested, but we're not putting them back into pine trees. We're actually going and planting lots of native um, plants in that area. And it's a really important area because that's where the city gets its water from. So it's really important that it's nice and secure. So we're spending a lot of money making sure that that area is not vulnerable to events like happened at Tolaga Bay. Mm, good to know. Yeah, because it's really interesting to think about how the weather affects us and what we can do to reduce those effects. So sometimes that's just thinking about how we use the land around us and how we might need to, to adapt as our weather changes with climate change. Food for thought. So that's all the formal questions that we've got. Um, we've perhaps got time for a couple more if there were burning questions that you had after this discussion. Give you a moment to think about that. If you've got questions, you can pop them in the chat window. Um, and in a moment, I'm also going to ask you about what, what prep you've got for an emergency event. So do you know what to do if you've got a wild weather event or an earthquake or something like that? So I can see there's, there's a teacher there might, might be putting some questions in. We'll see how we go. You can probably just come up and say them, actually, because we've only got involved this morning. Um, hi, I'm Hannah. And is there any severe weather that can help the environment? Oh, Hannah, that's a great question. So any severe weather that actually helps us? I, I, can, I can answer that. So sometimes in your streams, you might notice that sometimes when, when you don't, it's been a long time since you've had any rain, sometimes your streams can go quite, quite green with algae in your stream. And uh, when you get a good rainfall event, it can wash a lot of that algae out. So some of these streams rely on these cycles that allow, um, allow uh, a bit of a cleaning, I guess, isn't it? It's kind of like water blasting your deck or, or cleaning the car. Um, just cleans all of that, some of that gunk out. And that's how some of these natural streams work. Um, another example might be we have um, little fish, inanga, that live in our streams. And when it floods, they go up and they lay their eggs in the vegetation that lives alongside the stream bank. So sometimes that's, that's good as well. Yeah, and I know people down south here are well, some people are rubbing their hands together with glee after the extreme weather because all the snow has fallen in the mountains and they're going, yay, I can go skiing. <laughs> That's a bonus as well. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Any and other also, questions? I was going to say, also... Um, did you have something to add? Yeah, and I was, well, I was um, also saying that sort of when all of a sudden we have our river levels rise, um, some other extreme people that go kayaking, for example, all of a sudden they can go and kayak <laughs> Paddle rivers, which when the river levels are low, you can't do. Um, the, around the Nelson, there's um, a couple around there where you really wait for that really extreme weather to come through so the rivers go up, and then you can really go and, and, and pump by going down that river, sort of, but you can't normally do it because it's too rocky. And so when it's big, you've got these big, big waves, and it's really cool adrenaline rush, you know, real big thrill to go paddling down. So you need those that bad weather to actually give you the water in the river. That's really cool. Yeah, good point. But don't think it has much to do with the environment so much. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, what happens if you go inside a tornado? You get really dizzy. But like the Wizard of Oz, um, it, it it can be really dangerous. It can be really dangerous. And um, I mentioned before there was someone in, in Auckland that was killed. Um, they got flung up in the air a, a long way up, and they they fell from a height. So um, yeah, they they can be very dangerous. Um, but obviously, it's it's very very windy, very windy. Indeed, not not a safe place to be. And we've got a question from the Learns office. Um, Barry's thinking, are there young people coming through to do the likes of your your jobs? So being involved in managing severe weather and monitoring waterways and that sort of thing. Are there are there lots of young people interested in those sort of things? Pete, you, you know? can answer this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there are there are, and I think. I think in the in the area that Murray and I work in, we are we're scientists, so we we learn lots about these things. That's at, we learned about them when we were in school, and then when we left school, we we went to university and we learned more about them. And um, both Murray and I have done uh, research as well, so we've we've actually done our own learning. We we've created knowledge. We've written books. Um, and then, and now that was many years ago, and now, now we work for council. So, I, I guess we under, we understand and we learn about these things. Um, but yes, they, there are young people coming through. Um, most of the people that come into our jobs have have degrees, um, but but not all of them. Yeah, and I yes. can also, I was also can say as we have also have um, what we call strategic alliances. We have. Um, relationships with the university so particularly with Auckland University so we have young students who are doing studies coming down from Auckland University and working on things like landslides we have two students presently working on landslides in Gisborne City um, from Auckland University and they partner with us so um, I help them with um, supervising their work and we hope that they may not necessarily come to our council but um they're very likely to go and get work in a council or in a science organisation doing the work that same type of work that we do here. And um, it's really, from my point of view, it's really cool because they do lots of writing up and um, then they publish their work as what they, we call papers or reports. And what's really cool is I don't have to do too much of the hard work, but they put my name on that as well. So I'm one of the authors of that report. So it's a very lazy way of putting your name on papers or technical reports. Yeah, and I imagine it's quite a rewarding job because ultimately you're you're helping people and helping to manage the environment. So put your hand up if you think you might be interested in a weather-type job or an environment-type job like what we've been talking about this morning. Mm. Sounds pretty interesting to me. Might be something that you can aim for. Excellent. And is there anyone that can share what preparations you have for an emergency event before we leave you this morning? I have another question. Oh, you have another question. Okay. <laughs> the general size for tornadoes in New Zealand. Sorry, can you repeat that? I've just missed the start of your question. Is there like a general size for tornadoes in New Zealand? Peter, any idea? Probably smaller than your building. That you, smaller than the room that you're in at the moment. <laughs> 
Um, so they tend to be very small. I've seen a tornado. I lived in a town where we had a little tornado come through in the Bay of Plenty. And there were, it was in the middle of town and there were three houses and the tornado came through and destroyed the middle house and kept going and left the two houses next to it all alone. So you couldn't even tell what the, these houses weren't even damaged, but the one in the middle was completely destroyed. So it was, it was quite small. Um, and uh, in other, other countries, the tornadoes are so big that they can be a whole city block and they can completely destroy hundreds of houses. Um, but in New Zealand, they tend to be quite small, but they can cause a lot of damage, but just normally in one little place. Mm, thanks, Peter. Okay, have we got someone who can share their, their prep for emergencies? If not, it's okay, we can leave you with that task. Oh, I'm Claire again, but um, we have a walk up the hill near, just near our school and we go out the gates when there's the alarm, so we go up the hill very steep, so that's our um, tsunami and our earthquake drill. And we have emergency bags in each classes, so we, I think we have the alarm and two alarms, we grab the two alarms, we grab the bag and we head up the hill. Oh, fantastic. That's so good that you've got a plan, you know exactly where to go, and you've got supplies. Well done. It'd be really easy for you guys to um, enter that competition too, I think. And I think Peter's got a bit of a bag there that he can share with us. We've, I've got a bag because we live on the East Coast, and there's quite a high chance, a bit like you guys down in Wellington, there's quite a high chance that we'll get a big earthquake up here at some point. So it could be in the middle of the night, and I'll have to wake up and we'll have to get out, grab our kids and quickly escape in case there's a tsunami as well. So here's, we've got a grab bag. It's right by our front door and I won't go through everything in it, but I'll show you a couple of things. It's got some gloves in case we need to, to pick up broken glass or sharp things. It's got a food, this is like a food bar. Um, it's got a gas cooker and it's got a little radio and it. it's got all sorts of bits and pieces in here so when I can just grab this run out the door I don't have to think about it especially when I'm very tired it's two in the morning my brain's not working properly um, and I just go so this bag's probably like your bag but you were saying you've just got together so that's awesome fantastic Barry's got his, his wind-up radio torch there, so not relying on batteries. That's pretty cool. Excellent. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning, Murotai School, and a big thank you to Peter and Murray, our experts, for such awesome answers. I know I learned a lot. I hope everybody else did as well. So thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully you've enjoyed the field trip and can join us on another one soon. So we can now all say goodbye. Bye, guys. Ka kite. Have a great day. All right. Thanks very much, everyone. Namahinui, and that brings our Learns Web Conference to an end.